you in a very um, distinctive way. And this verse for the last three weeks has been poignant in my study time. And I keep coming back to it. And uh, after three weeks of reading it and thinking about it, finally God was like, why don't you study it? And so I, um, I cracked open some study material and I began to look at this verse. And I start here tonight and we'll end here as well. But there, there's one word that I'm most drawn to in Psalm 46, verse 10. And that word is uh, the second word here in the verse. It's still. The Hebrew word is rafa. Can you guys all say rafa? That was extremely weak. Can you all say rafa? You're all Hebrew scholars. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, the meaning to rafa, let's, let's hold off on that for one second. How many of you guys remember the Book It program? You guys remember the Book It program? Yes. Where, was the, is the Book It program still around? Is it still around for, for you guys? Let me, let me describe to you what it was. When I was growing up in school, here's the Book It program. You read a book, you get a pizza. Right? Do you guys remember this? In grade school, like growing up, you read a book, you go to school, you prove that you... That, and Pizza Hut would just give you a personal pan. Why has this stopped? You, like, how many, how many of us, is, you know what I'm saying? Like, as adults, if Papa John stepped up to the plate, like Pizza Hut, yeah. But if Papa John stepped up and said, all right, adults, every book you read, we're hooking you up with a Papa John's pizza. And, and if you read a couple books in a short period of time, we're even throwing some extra garlic sauce. You guys know what I'm talking about? That little, isn't that tub of love just amazing, you know? Bad breath for endless days, but it's... Yeah. Now, the, the best part of the book at two is you got this little certificate. And, uh, you know, it said, I've read one book. And they gave you like 80 of them. You know, they, for some reason, they had just massive printers at the book at program. And I was thinking about all that earlier and um, earlier this week. And, and ultimately what happens when, if you're like me when I was a kid, one corner of my room just became like a trophy shrine. Because when you're a kid, it doesn't, like if you get eighth place, eight out of eight, they give you a six foot trophy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. I mean, you're in some spelling bee with like three other people because no one else wanted to sign up in your school. And for third place, I mean, the trophy is like the size, you know, half your room. I mean, they're just hooking you up. You get certificate. What's the presidential? If you do 20 push-ups in eight minutes or something, you get some. You guys remember that? You get, I mean, the, maybe I just made that up, but it was something like that. But the corner of my room just became this shrine. I made so many free throws and you get a trophy. You smart in school and they mat it for you and put it in a black frame, you know. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say come 10, 11, 12 years old, I would look over to that corner and just completely defined by it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I would just look over there at all the glistening glass frames and the, the fake gold trophies. And I would think to myself, you're pretty baller, you know. <laughs> uh, later in life, I got so fed up with these that I literally just threw them all away. And there was a, I just, I just one day when I was like 17, I was just so tired of looking at them that I just put them all in the trash. But it got me thinking about something. Um, you know, for you college students, it doesn't really change. You pay a whole lot of money, amen? Apparently not. Are you guys going on dimes over here? Like, what are you guys doing? Back when I went to school, paid a lot of money anyway. You work hard, your professor grades you somewhat ambiguously, and, um, and if you get enough good grades, you get what? You get a certificate, you know? Now, this is clearly a little bit more powerful of a certificate than the Book It program, but, but you get a certificate. If you're in the business world here, um, let's say you're a teacher, or you just happen to be a roller coaster architect, or, um, you're an, you're an, or you're an engineer, whatever it is that you are, is it any different? You show up at work, you work hard in the hopes that your boss would recognize you, and then eventually, one day that you'd be sitting in his office and he would say, you know what, you've worked really hard, you've done a phenomenal job, guess what I have for you? I have a promotion. And, and in that case, the certificate comes in the form of a nice, hefty raise and a check, right? Uh, at this point, some of you stay-at-home moms, you're thinking, well, what about us? Stay-at-home moms, can we just give it up for the stay-at-home moms? I love those guys, love them. Um, I just earned massive brownie points right there. That was amazing. And then I just ruined it by saying that. 
Stay-at-home moms, is it any different? You work really hard to feed your children, to make sure that during the day, you know, or whatever your situation looks like, you're hoping that your child gets bigger, that they grow, and then eventually they, you know, progress. Listen, um, culturally for us, from when we're born, man, until when we die, this idea of merit is just entrenched in us, isn't it? I mean, everywhere you turn, and I'm not saying that all of it's bad. I mean, there needs to be some type of grading scale in school, and it's nice when a team wins. But it's just entrenched in us. Let me show you the danger of you and I being so infiltrated with culture. Can I show you the danger? Last week, I casted for you the vision of where this church is headed. And listen, literally in all my years of ministry, I've never been so excited. And last Thursday, the Coats for Kids postcard hit this city. We started receiving phone calls at 1 p.m. on Thursday. And where it stood before I walked down here tonight is we have 280 requests for coats from 123 different homes, 75 of which are single parents. That's about 58 or 9 percent. Unbelievable. Guys, there's a home that we've already been in four times. There's conversations that we've had with women that are just broken because they have five kids and, and the dad left. Friends, the movement is alive. The movement is alive. And so far, our lot families have pledged 228 of those coats. Unbelievable. I'm so encouraged, so excited. Risen Lord, the other church that meets here, they want in. First Baptist Harvester, they want in. People are already looking for partnerships and looking for ways that they can join in. It's an unbelievable thing. Listen. That being said, in week one of this, here's the danger. Is that we love St. Charles and all of this starts to define us. Let me step back. When I was a kid and I would look over at the trophies, there was a point in time where that rack defined who I was. That gave me worth. That gave me purpose. That made me in seventh grade, even though I had an acne-filled face, go to school and still stick out my chest a little bit like I was worth something. That rack of trophies did that. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen to this. The pastors at this church want, desire, and are craving movement. We want to see God do something uncontrollable in this city. And I think you'd agree with me, he already has. I mean, we already, friends, are seeing the need. And next Sunday when we deliver the coats, you are going to look the need face to face. Unbelievable. In ways that we never have before. I want uncontrollable God things to happen. But we love St. Charles. And the works of our hands must not define us. We get worth from one thing and one thing only. You won't get worth from helping someone. You won't get worth from going to Walmart, buying a coat, showing up at a doorstep and handing it over. You will not get worth from that. Listen through this whole journey, and we're not going anywhere. This isn't some sensationalistic vision that in three weeks is going to die. By God's grace, in 10, 15, 20 years, we're still here, still saying we love St. Charles. Are you with me? But none of that defines us. Only the cross of Christ. That's it. It's a perfect Passover lamb. The blood of Jesus. It's in Him we get our worth. It's in Him we get our satisfaction. It's in Him that we sit back and that verse starts to make sense. Here's what I mean. I've always coupled Psalm 46.10 with the still small voice of God. But the meaning to Rapha, everyone say it again with me. Oh, you're becoming pros. Brilliant. The meaning to Rapha is cease. Cease and know that I am God. Totally different, listen, than sitting 
so that you hear the voice of God. Cease and know that your God is this. If we were to all like do the robot, you know, and, and pause for a, an hour, we were all just to sit here. No one was to move. And if you moved, you, you know, we did something, you know, horrible to you, right? If we were all just, I don't know what that would be, you know, but whatever. We just paused. If none of us did anything, here's the question. Is God still God? Is his plan still moving forward? Is his grace still sufficient? At the beginning of this, you would think right now that I would come out and we would all like wear Braveheart blue face paint. And we would, you know, there would be swords under your pews. You know, I would be like, look under your pew. And you'd like, you know, some people get slashed just by, you know, taking them out. Right? You've never seen one before. You'd think that that would be the moment, wouldn't it? Right now would be the time, a perfect time in the existence of our church to say, you know what? Now is the time. We need to get up. We need to work hard. We need to go for this. Before we do anything, I want to implore you to understand that every day that this church exists, our worth is solely in Christ. God does not need us. He does not need We Love St. Charles. He does not need us going to homes and passing out coats. He doesn't need any of that. He could do it by any means or desire that he, that he wished. But He's graced us with the opportunity. And for that, I hope you're grateful. For that, this week, I hope you've been humbled already by the call that's been placed on this church. Because it's exciting. It is. But I hope together that we begin the journey of finding worth in Christ. Are you with me? Now, here's, here's my thinking. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was some reminder from God about this all the time? Wouldn't it be incredible if, if there was like some rhythm or pattern that was constantly reminding us that we are not worth anything without Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a reminder Well, friends, guess what? There is. And it's this rhythm called the Sabbath. Now, I say the word and instantly some of you churn in your stomach because you grew up in church and you've heard this word and it had some negative connotation, right? Like your picture of Sabbath was some legalistic, horrible, wretched concept. Many of you grew up like I did. Sunday was the busiest day of the week. It was the day when your household was chaos because you weren't wearing your tie perfectly when you were six and your mom was like, you know, kicking you in the butt. You know, you woke up late, everyone's screaming. Have you been there Sunday morning, right? Everyone's screaming at the top of their lungs. You open and you walk in the church door and everyone's like, oh, hi, everyone. Good to see you, Mary, you know? When, when just in the car, you were like slugging your sister, you know? And you were embarrassed because your mom made you wear turquoise pants. You know what I'm saying? With some pink tie. And you're like, this is rigged. Sunday was the busiest day of, of my week. Listen to this. I, I, I would wake up. I would go to church. I would go to youth group. I would then go home, shower, work at Ponda Grossa Steakhouse. Amen. Any Pondo fans? I always talk about the cheese sauce. Brilliant. So thick and tasty. I would come home from, listen, I would come home from that, shower, go to youth group and youth choir. And here's what would happen. I'd walk in the door and my parents would say, You, my son, are a good kid. They were feeding this idea of merit that I was getting at school. The more you did, the better you are. That's not the gospel whatsoever. And the amazing thing about the idea of the Sabbath, and we're going to teach through it through eight different scriptures here in a second, so you might want to strap on the seatbelt, is that God has provided a rhythm for us to be reminded that he's God. So I need you guys to open your Bibles right now. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to answer five questions tonight about the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's interesting, and you should instantly be intrigued that we're discussing this now because of the, the model here at Matthias. This is our corporate gathering. What night is it, anyone? It's a Wednesday. A little bit, little bit different. Praise God. <laughs> Be still and know, you know, know that God's a bass player, right? Right? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a Wednesday. On Sundays, Matthias, we gather in homes. Well, why is that? 
we believe, and I'm going to be very upfront about this at the beginning. We, be- we believed when we planted this church that God was calling us to a different rhythm, a different model. So that together, corporately, we could experience Sabbath together. He's called us to do that. No point in tonight will I ever say gathering corporately on Sunday is wrong or not biblical because it's not. It's completely great and, and expected and a blessing. But God has called us to do something different. And before I even read Genesis 2 and explain the four biblical Sabbaths, I need to say this. I've got to be debugged of a lot of things. But my daughter right now doesn't have to. She's three. And you know what Sundays are for Avery? It's her favorite day of the week. You want to know why? Because on Sundays is when she gets in bed with mommy and daddy. And on Sundays is when we go down and the TV doesn't turn on. And the very first thing that daddy does is he puts on a worship CD and we all just rock out and dance together in my basement. And it's very chill. And on Sunday, daddy doesn't go to work. And you know what she, she asked me now? This is, this is how she communicates. Hey, um, dad, is church is coming over today, right? Yes. My little girl already sees the church as people. Dad, the church is coming over today. You know what she calls this place? The building, and I love it. So if you're here and, you, and you've been curious about why we do Wednesday, Sunday, one of the reasons we do is God has called us into this Sabbath rhythm. It's just one of the reasons, but into this Sabbath rhythm. So let's go to it and explain. First of all, what is Sabbath? That's the first question we'll ask. The Greek, uh, the Greek word for Sabbath is Sabbaton. Everyone say Sabbaton. The, the word Sabbaton literally means a day of rest. The Hebrew word is Shabbat. Everyone say Shabbat. Now, Shabbat means the same thing that Rafah does. It means to cease. And not just to cease, but it means to stop. So in the two words for Sabbath in the Scripture, both Old Testament and New, the concept is you rest, you desist, you cease. You understand? Now, there are four biblical Sabbaths. And you're going to have to stay with me here. The first biblical Sabbath we see in Genesis chapter 2. And it says this, after God's created everything in chapter 2 verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he what? He rested God on the seventh day from all of his work that had to be done. So God blessed the seventh day. By the way, quick side note. He only blesses three things in creation. Birds and fish, interesting, and the Sabbath. All right? So God blessed the seventh Any fishermen here? Right? Yes. Freak show. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Listen, the very first Sabbath is a God-ordained and initiated rhythm where God creates and then God rests. And so God in the beginning sets up this pattern, this rhythm, this six and one meter, if you will. Six days you work. One day you rest, and I'm pretty sure if God rested, maybe we should. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I sit here and I look at the creation Sabbath and say, interesting. Now listen, there are four biblical Sabbaths, like I've already said. Each Sabbath is a foreshadow to the next, is a shadow to the next. So the next Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20, is the Mosaic Sabbath. It says this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, part of the Ten Commandments, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And what I'm about to read to you is an emphatic plea. Listen to this, verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That's that's pretty much everyone there. Uh, He covered it all. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it what? Made it holy. The second Sabbath is the Mosaic law. God laws it. You take a day and you remember two things. That I am God and this is post what? 
they're out of Pharaoh's grip. You take a day, you remember that I created you, and guess what, Israelites? You remember that you're slaves no more. Uh, Can I share something with you? At this point, the Israelites celebrated the Sabbath. It it, it cracks me up because all of us, and, and all of us do this, all of us will, will work, work, work. And then when like, for instance, 4th of July comes along, we're like, or Martin Luther King, like a Monday. What's a Monday holiday? You know, Labor Day. That's right. Like pan, whatever, Pancake Day, all those type of things. We get one day and, we, and, and, and we're like, sweet snow days. Remember, remember those? When, when a snow day comes, you feel like nectar from heaven. It just, just drenched you. You know what I mean? Like ivory soap. I mean, it's amazing. And yet when it's not instituted like that, on certain days you continue to work as if your work means something or matters. But when a day off comes from the government, you pause. And when God says, take a day and remember me, you continue to grind. The Israelites love the Sabbath, okay? They loved it. They loved it because they viewed it as, okay, so we work hard six days and we get one day off. This is amazing. You know what I mean? Every week they had this reminder. If you're wondering, if you're wondering, if they they viewed it this way, put up Psalm 92 for me. Psalm 92. Psalm 92, Andrew, just a few clicks down there. Is it not in there? No, not in there. Oh, open your Bibles to Psalm 92. Open your Bibles to Psalm 92. I I I need to show you this. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right there in front of you. Psalm 92. I just want to show you that the Israelites delighted in it. Psalm 92, you guys all there? Say I'm there. Okay, in the Bible, um, at least in mine, it says a psalm, a song for the what? A song for the Sabbath. Let's see if they viewed this as something that was a burden, okay? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Does, does this seem like a guy who's burdened by the Sabbath? No. The Sabbath was this amazing, delightful day. Now, here's what happened. The Sabbath became something else. Pre-exile, the Sabbath was a party. The Sabbath was a celebration. The Sabbath was a time to sit back and remember. But then, listen to this, the Israelites, some of them, get exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar II. Right? Some of you guys have seen that um, Veggie Tales, right? King Nebi, I think his name is. Yeah. King Nebuchadnezzar II deports the Jews to Babylon. Now, listen to this. They go there, and in Babylon, the 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28 days in Babylon are guess what? They're called the Sabbath too, but you know what? It's a day where the entire country ceases because they're afraid of demons. So no one in Babylon on the 7th, 14th, 21st, 28 days, no one does anything because they're afraid of demons. So much so that the king, King Nebi, wouldn't get in his chariot on those days because he feared that demons would wreck the chariot and he would die. So what happens? The Jews come back to Israel and guess what happens? The Mishnah, the, the Mishnah and the Talmud say this. The Israelites came back from the exile, created 39 rules with 39 subcategories of rules, listing 1,500 total rules for the Sabbath. So they come back from the exile, burdened by demonology, and they make a list of 1,500 rules that are not in the Bible for everyone to follow, overcompensating for what happened in Babylon. And then it affected you and I. It got to us, and we still see the Sabbath as this legalistic day. When it was never that, it was something more, something to be delighted in. 
So you have the creation Sabbath, you have the Mosaic Sabbath, and, and then turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. All of creation was waiting on Jesus to come and fulfill the law. The Mosaic law given to show our lack of ability to follow the law. And then Jesus says this in chapter 12 verse 1. Matthew chapter 12 verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, listen to this. This is crazy. The Mishnah, um, the disciples and Jesus are about ready to break four rules in the Mishnah. Okay, and this is awesome. I love watching Jesus break rules. Okay, look at this. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat them. Okay, so there's a, there's a few things that when you eat grain, I'm not a big grain eater. Anyone here, you eat raw grain? Can you do that? Can you eat raw grain? Okay, awesome. None of us know what we're talking about here. Okay, work with me. So they're walking in a field. Rule number one, broken. You have to pick grain. Rule number two, with grain, you have to thresh it in your hands to kind of like break it down. Rule number three, broken. And then they're eating the grain. Rule number four, broken. So the disciples and Jesus have broken all of these Sabbath laws from the Mishnah, verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Don't you love when the Pharisees set Jesus up for like a grand slam? This is one of those moments, verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was, uh, when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence... For Samuel chapter 21, there is this consecrated priestly bread that only the priest could eat. And David goes in and eats it. It's like the bread from Lambert's. Have you had, have you had this bread? It's, I step back. It's not like the bread from Lambert's, but it could be, okay? I'm not making association, con, you know, you guys understand what I'm saying. But have you had the bread? The little honey on top? Yeah. So Jesus is saying, David goes in and he eats the bread of the presence. Verse 4. How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat it, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, creation, Mosaic law, all of its waiting. And then Jesus says, now I am the fulfillment of it. I am Sabbath. If you get on Google and you type in Sabbath and you start to read some heretical articles, you will read that Jesus abolished the Sabbath. Does that look like he abolished it? He fulfilled it. He became it. He said, I am the Lord of it. And as Lord, he becomes the focus of it. So that in and of itself right now for all of us should raise our attention and say, okay, if Jesus fulfilled it and didn't abolish it, then it must be important for you and I still, right? But there's one more Sabbath. The Jesus Sabbath is awaiting something else. Hebrews chapter 4, put it on the screen. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, this is talking about the eternal rest. The fact that one day, because of Christ and relationship with Jesus, we all will have an eternity filled with rest. And it's because of that rest that we can trust in Jesus. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Creation, Mosaic, Jesus, eternal. Four biblical Sabbaths. And right now we're waiting on the final Sabbath. The eternal Sabbath. So the question is, what do we do now? If that's the Sabbath, then what do we do now? The second question I want to uh, ask for you guys, answer for you guys is, which day is it? 
If you get on Google, on your worldwide internet, okay, and you Google, which day is the Sabbath, okay, there's going to be a whole lot of articles. You're going to see a church called the Seventh Day Adventists, okay, who believe the Sabbath is on the seventh day. You're going to see all kinds of groups that believe all kinds of different things. Jesus, according to John, Mark, and Luke, raises from the dead on the on the first day of the week. Now, the seventh day of the week, for a Jew, from Friday at sundown to, sun, to, to Saturday at sundown, is the Sabbath. I've been to Jerusalem, and I've seen a Jewish Sabbath. The whole city such, uh, shuts down. But post-death and resurrection of Jesus, there is this shift to the first day of the week because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Uh, let me explain a little bit more. Te Dei Miatone Sabbaton. Let's say that again. Te Dei Miatone Sabbaton. Can you guys say that with me? Te Dei Miatone Sabbaton. The word first in the New Testament occurs 150 times. But Te Dei Miatone Sabbaton only occurs five. In Mark, in Luke, and in John's account of the resurrection to describe the first day of the week, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 9, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, where it describes the church meeting on the first day of the week. Many of you guys know the story in Acts chapter 20 where Paul preaches all night long, right? You guys ready, you guys ready for that tonight? You're already, you're already like, it's already getting late. You know what I'm saying, right? He preaches all night long, and it says that the church had gathered on the first day of the week. Listen, I have some pastor friends of mine that believe that the Sabbath is a concept. And I'm sure if you've been around the church that you've heard this. Well, Saturday's my Sabbath. Well, yeah. The problem is it's not your Sabbath. Because the whole day, when Jesus fulfills it, says, on the Sabbath you look to me. You, you celebrate me as Christ. So it, it ain't your Sabbath. It's It's His. He designed it, he fulfilled it, he made it. And so on that day, all your focus is on him. So if you want to take a day where you take off on Saturday, then so be it. But it's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not an idea. It's not a concept. It's biblically fulfilled in Christ. To be celebrated on the first day of the week. This is why the church gathers on Sunday. Are you guys with me? Now, people will go back and forth on this issue. But you know what? I would rather sit back, see the early church celebrating Jesus on the first day of the week and say, you know what? What's wrong with taking an entire day, ceasing from my work and just wholly celebrating the Lord and Savior Jesus? Is there something wrong with that? So the next question is this. What has man's view been of it? Pre-exile, delight. Post-exile, legality. And in our day and age, one of the most legalistic things ever. The moment I started teaching about the Sabbath, all of you were ready to see the list on the slides of what you should be doing and what you should, shouldn't be doing. You're ready for it. You've got your pen out right now. Hey, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I shouldn't do on Sunday. Tell me what I should do. Just like the Pharisees. That's not the point. If Jesus fulfilled it, if he became the focus of it, then we have to get back to the concept of what it is. And so look, again, I'm not saying Two Rivers meets on Sunday. Piney Ridge is going to meet on Sunday. August Gate meets on Sunday. Are they doing it wrong? By no means. Praise God for their model. Praise God for their methodology. But does it lessen the fact that it's still the Sabbath? Not at all. Not at all. It's a delight. It's to be celebrated in Isaiah 58. Do we have that on here? Look at this. Isaiah 58 says this. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. 
I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's delight and it's ceasing. Ceasing from what? Ceasing from your daily regiment. Sunday should look nothing like every other day of the week. Here's what John Piper, have you guys ever, ever heard of John Piper? Maybe you've heard of him. Here's what he says. God appointed one day in seven to be holy to the Lord. It is designed to provide a weekly meal of reverence for our shriveling souls, said so Piperish, eh? Sunday should not be trivial. It should be holy, set apart for God, a day in which we delight ourselves in the Lord in ways we can't on other busy days. Many innocent and good things should probably be replaced with deeper things on the Lord's day. It's a day where it should be a riot, a party for Jesus. That's why I'm so passionate about you getting plugged in with a lot family if this is your church. Because we get together in homes and celebrate Jesus. That's what we do. Ceasing from our daily routines so that we can remember Christ. Now hopefully you still have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 12. Because my next question is, how did Jesus spend his Sabbaths? I'm pretty sure that however Jesus spent his Sabbaths, like we should look at that. Would you agree with me? So, So here's how Jesus spent his Sabbaths. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. By the way, um, we'll see at the end of this story that they, they want to kill him. The first time Jesus taught on the Sabbath in the Gospel of Luke, they want to throw him off a cliff. So this was that big of an issue for the Pharisees and that big of an issue for Jesus, verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue like he hasn't chapped them enough already. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, and I love this, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Okay, let me explain something here. The Pharisees, listen to this. Even though they had 1,500 rules for the Sabbath, listen to this. They would tie a rope around their ankle because you, could only, you were only permitted to go so many feet from your house on the Sabbath. They would tie a rope on their ankle extended to another rope so that they could take their animals to get food. And then when they got to this other place, then they would extend the rope and continuing extending it so that they could break their own laws. The the whole point of the Pharisees was they put laws on people that they couldn't follow themselves. So Jesus is saying here, so, um, hey everyone, pretty sure you guys have fed some sheep by tying your feet to ropes that go completely against your rules. Well, look at this. Uh, uh, verse 12 again, of how much more value is a man than sheep? Okay, so if you have to answer that question outside of rhetorically, go to the prayer room after this, all right? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now, what I love about this, the man with the withered hand didn't approach Jesus. The man with the withered hand, like, was just there. Jesus calls him, says, hey, come here, man with the withered hand. I need to show something about what the Sabbath is all about. Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and he was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The Greek word for destroy there is destroy. Okay. Right. They want to get rid of Jesus because he's wrecking havoc on the Sabbath. Now, what does this mean for us, right? This, this, is, this is what you want. So what does this mean for us? Here's what it means. We believe at Matthias. When it comes to the Sabbath, we have a phenomenal opportunity to have a weekly reminder that He is God and that you're not. And that no matter what you do or don't do, His plans are being accomplished. And so what we believe is that you need to teach the biblical principles of the Sabbath, many of which we've just gone through, and then each of you who are Christians, who have been given the Holy Spirit, then you need to discern 
what Sunday should look like. The reality is Sunday for many of you looks exactly the same as any other day. For you college students, you do more homework on Sundays than any other day. For you families, you definitely don't delight in it. Sunday is a day of work and, and chaos. Sunday is the day that you mess with the leaves. Sunday is the day that you just feel burdened by a Sunday. Sunday looks like every other day for most of you here. We've gone through, through some of the scriptures. I want to break it down into four biblical principles for you, and then we'll go from there. The first thing is it's Sunday. The Sabbath is not an idea. It's not a concept. It's a reality. A weekly rhythmic reminder causing our hearts to wait on the eternal Sabbath that Hebrews 4 talks about. So we are amidst an opportunity to weekly be reminded that God is in control and that He's sovereign. Let me step back and say this. I think we've kind of trained ourselves to say that we're not worthy. We say it a lot here. We're depraved. I say all the time when I go and speak other places, hey, I'm just a young punk, you know. We say that stuff all the time. Here's my question. Do do you believe it? Do you really believe you're unworthy? Do you really believe you're inadequate and capable? If I were to take your last seven days and I were to ask you what you found your worth in, have you found your worth solely in Christ or has it really been in the works of your hands? I mean, I know you've said a lot, oh yeah, I'm depraved, sinner, need of the grace of God. But is that really what's being manifested in your life? Would people look at you and say, that person, or would they say, no, that person's driven by the dollar? That person's driven by a relationship. That person's driven by success. Does your life reveal that you really are inadequate and unable without the worth that Christ puts in you? That's the blessing of the weekly reminder in the Sabbath. So it's a Sunday, a weekly reminder. The second thing is this, the purpose. If I were to put it in four words, Cease and celebrate Christ. That's why we have three Lot family distinctives. And the first one is cease. And the way it's framed out there, and you can read about it at the table, is we cease from our daily routines and regiments so that we can celebrate Christ. The Sabbath is we cease and we celebrate. That's what we do all day long. All day long with you and your family and your friends. You just cease and you celebrate Christ. Is that burdensome to you, friends? Does that seem like a ridiculous request from God? Take a whole day, worship with your family and your friends and your church, and be reminded that you're not God. Be reminded that you're slaves no longer. Be reminded that I'm creator. Be reminded that you're redeemed. Is that some burdensome request? No, it's freeing. It's not legalistic. It's an enjoyment. Cease and celebrate Christ. The third thing is it's a delight to be looked to in anticipation. In other words, Sunday is my favorite day of the week, bar none. And I'm, again, I'm not just saying that because it makes for a great story right here in this teaching, right? Oh yeah, good, good one, yeah. I can't wait for Sunday. Sunday nights are some of my favorite times. Sunday when Lot family's there and we're just enjoying, it's some, some of my favorite times. I love my girl on Sunday. On Sunday afternoons, listen to this, after the Lot family leaves and we fellowship, Sunday afternoons, every Sunday afternoon, my, my little girl Avery and I, we cuddle up in the bed and we just take a nap together. We just, we celebrate. And I explain to her why we're, why we're there, why we're cuddling. Avery, thank you. God has made you and I'm so grateful and I just want to spend this because when you're 10, we probably won't be taking naps together, you know? <laughs> and I just want to cherish these moments. Right now, I'm sitting here and I'm like, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. All of our hearts should be beating with that same pulse. Sunday's coming. Well, Mark, hold on a second. Like, what about the other days? What, what, like, what about the other days? So, you, okay. Oh, 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 I understand, Mark. So what you're saying is we, we worship God on Sundays. Mondays, you know, fend for yourself. 
Listen, in, in Genesis, Abraham sets up an altar every time he has a massive encounter with God. Does he always pass that altar? No. But every once in a while, he passes the altar and is reminded of God's power. That's the meter of the Sabbath. So that on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, we're still saying, I'm unworthy. Your work will get done without me. You are God. You're a redeemer, you see? Every time Abraham passed one of those altars. So it's a delight to be looked to in anticipation and also to be prepared for. Oh, listen to this. Exodus 16, verse 2. Listen to this. I love this. Have you guys ever heard of manna? You guys know manna? Yeah. One of my favorite stories to read Avery. Because I'm showing her. She, I'm like bread coming from the sky. She's like, what? She like starts looking up. You know what I mean? I'm like, probably not right now. But, right? Manna, God, on, in, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, in preparation for the Sabbath, God dumps a double portion of manna on the people so that they can collect their food and then on the Sabbath, they don't have to worry about it. Listen, for some of you, Sunday, it needs to be a day where you just, you wake up and you just, you just, you don't have to worry about stuff. Do that stuff before then. Think about it. Listen, some, most of you college students, okay, when you got a paper to write, all right, most of you, yes, I know, wait till the last minute, but it still gets done. You're still working towards a goal. So why would the Sabbath be any different? Yeah, for some of you guys who, who love the host, you have a lot of people over. Do you start cleaning your house after the people get there? You're like, oh, hey, come on in. Don't mind me. I'm going to vacuum over here. Just, you know, would you mind taking out the trash there? That'd be great. No, you get ready for it. So when they're there, you can be what? Fully present. You prepare so that when you're there, you can engage. The Sabbath is to be looked to in anticipation and prepared for. Sunday's coming. I can't wait. Now lastly, the Sabbath is this. Jesus did works of necessity. He ate. And acts of mercy, he healed on the Sabbath so we can too. Well, oh, oh, good. oh, no, that's good, Mark. So Coats for Kids, um, we're distributing that on Sunday. Well, isn't that work? I guess only if you think, it, think of it as duty. When Sunday, November 1st comes and we go out to 123 different homes with 280 coats, I ain't thinking that's work. I can't wait for that night to be here. That's going to be restoring. That's going to be a celebration. The lack of legality comes out of the preparation of our hearts. And we look at it and we say, thank you, God, for the opportunity. Jesus never said the Sabbath was a list of do's and don'ts. And so if you're sitting there saying, okay, Mark, so I, I'm, I, I know that you said you don't turn on the TV on Sundays. Does that mean I should too? You know, and you're like, you're drawing a TV, putting an X through it, you know. Listen, listen, I'm not saying that. I'm saying those are the four biblical principles. You discern. You discern. But you had better discern. You had better discern. You had better sit back now and say, you know what? Sundays should look different for my family. And one day you'll have kids and one day your kid will look at you and they'll wonder what Sunday is and the message that better be coming out of your mouth is today, Avery and Dawson, guess what we do? We cease and we just celebrate Jesus. Is, there, is it going to be messy? Oh yeah. Is there going to be times where you have to do stuff that maybe you didn't want to do? Sure. But with a lack of heart of legality, God provides freedom. Stand up with me, would you? Look. I want, I want nothing more. I want nothing more than an uncontrollable movement of Christ. But I truly believe 
that that's only going to happen by the grace of God and God breaking his people. The blessing of the rhythm of the Sabbath is that it is a weekly reminder of brokenness. What defines you? What gives you satisfaction? What gives you worth? Is we love St. Charles going to define Matthias's lot? Is passing out 280 coats and having amazing conversations and maybe even seeing people come to Christ, is that fruit going to define us? Or is it simply going to be the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, cleansing us, washing us? Is He enough for you, church? What happens at the beginning of every movement and revival, Spurgeon says, is that a whole congregation of people break at the idea of who they are and what God is. I'm praying that as we get in a better rhythm, which is completely anti-cultural, completely anti-movement, that we, that we will be still and know that He's God. So be still now, church. God, I ask that you'll pull us out of legality, that you'll thrust us into freedom, that we will truly be able to celebrate you every day of our existence, and that we'll take a day and remember that you're creator and we're slaves no longer. God, cause us to cease as we prepare for city initiative and your movement over St. Charles, God. I pray that you'll empower us by your spirit to sit back and to claim victory in you and recognize our own brokenness. God, show us how anti-cultural the gospel is.